welcoming our new members in. You can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 25, Acts chapter 25, verse 23. The series is called Let's Go Change the World, and today the sermon is called Paul's Trial Before the King. We paused last week right as the trial was about to begin, and I want to set the stage for you a little bit. I want you to feel like you're kind of there. So in Acts 25, 23, what it says is, on the next day, King Agrippa and Bernice came in with great pomp. Now, what do you think that looked and felt like? Some of you like the royal shows, like the crown and all that stuff. Here's some pictures. We'll put those up there of the royal family. Imagine this in the room, and you're on trial. Go ahead to the next picture. They've all got uh, crazy hats on, you know, or something. Whatever royals back then looked like, the fashion, the pomp. And then uh, go ahead and click on the next picture, too. The military is around. This is a, this is a um, Russian royal wedding here. But just grab all of this imagery and then imagine you are on a royal show trial. Can you feel it? Maybe you can't feel it yet, so I'm even going to add a little music here. And I'm going to crown one of you lucky dance members king for the day. Go ahead and click on that next slide because uh, I want you to feel like a, something royal is happening right now. And you're in the presence of the king. Go ahead. Just for a day. Enjoy it. All rise. All rise. There's a king in the room. Greet your subjects. <laughs> you may be seated. You can't take it off. All right. The, the whole sermon, I want you to feel like there's a king in the room. And then imagine that he's got the power to kill you. Because that's what's going on with Paul. He's on trial. He could be put to death. Let's pray. Father, what a story we have today. Paul is before the king. The governor's there. The, the military's there. All of the rich and wealthy people in the area, they're there to hear Paul's story. Help us to become bold witnesses as we see how Paul defends himself. Give us courage, O oh Jesus, to represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, chapter 25, verse 23. Great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Prisoners coming in. Festus was the governor from Rome. He was actually more powerful than the king. So Festus had Rome's authority over the whole nation. The king just had authority over parts of it. Festus said, King Agrippa. And have you ever been to medieval times? Raise your hand if you've been to medieval times. I've been there. Dinner and tournament. This is kind of the way that I feel it's happening here. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who the whole Jewish people uh, and all who are present with us. You see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we've examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself, 
Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it? Can you put yourself right now in Paul's shoes? You might not make it alive out of this trial. You have something going for you. They have no charges, and it's been two years. Even that is indicating that they know this is a dirty trial. The first thing you can write down is this. Paul's going to share before Christ. Before Christ, I was, a, I was very religious, but totally lost. Paul is going to share his testimony. He's going to show us how to share our testimony. And he's first going to share his before Christ. Before Christ, I was very religious, but totally lost. It says this. I consider, verse 2. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. Paul starts by sharing before Christ, I was very religious but totally lost. Very religious, but totally lost. Write this down. Religion without Jesus is useless. Religion without Jesus is useless. Judaism, which is strictly following the Old Testament, had Pharisees as their teachers and their leaders. And Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Bible scholar. He knew the Old Testament, probably even had books of the Old Testament memorized. He was on the Sanhedrin, or closely, he had the authority of the council. He was as plugged in and credentialed as a religious person could be. So the fact that they're accusing him of violating the Old Testament, basically he's like, come on, you all know my background. But his religion was without Jesus, so he persecuted the church. Jesus had his strongest words of condemnation for the Pharisees, the religious people who had no relationship with him. Let's put this verse up here on the screen. I want to read it to you. Go ahead and put that slide up there. Matthew 23, 25 to 27, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes, and what does it say? Well, that's what Paul was. Hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Listen to the words of Jesus. So these pictures are meant to condemn those who have religion without Jesus. Next time you have a dinner party, just, just clean the outside of the plates, the cups, and the platters that you serve your food on. I mean, keep the inside filthy, like, like weeks of food crusted up on the platter that you put the lunch on. How will people respond? They would be like, Ew! Welcome to the Pharisees. Clean on the outside, filthy on the inside. And the next time you talk to somebody, a really religious person who doesn't know Jesus, say, you know what you remind me of? One of those tombs that's just beautiful on the outside, but there's nothing but dead bones on the inside. Did Jesus let them have it? Oh my goodness, did he let them have it? So Paul was totally lost, which alerts you to the stark, shocking reality that religious people do not go to heaven. Did you hear me? Religious people do not go to heaven. Because it's only external effort and performance and nothing on the inside has been transformed. Religion without Jesus is useless. Write this down. Religion that rejects God's word is dangerous. Religion that rejects God's word is dangerous. So it's useless. He had it all. It says in verse 5, he was of the strictest party of the Pharisees. It says in verse 6, he had hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. That's generally the Old Testament. So Paul realizes he's, he's finding himself guilty of violating the, the Old Testament scripture he said he followed. Because the Old Testament said the Messiah would come, he would suffer, he would die, he'd be rejected by the rulers, he'd rise again. Paul rejected the word that he said he followed. So it's the hope of the Messiah that he now holds. He is actually now more in line with the Old Testament than all the wicked religious rulers around him in the room. Because he believes. It says in verse 7, to which our 12 tribes... That's the, tw the 12 tribes. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The 12 tribes came from them. Moses led them out of Egypt. They formed the new land in Israel. They earnestly worshiped night and day. For this hope I'm accused by Jews, O king. They now are the ones, like he used to be, rejecting the word of God. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? It's clear in Scripture that God was going to raise up this Messiah to everlasting life. So Paul was rejecting the word of God that he now has come to accept. We know in sermons in the book of Acts, and we know Jesus himself, we know where they went in the Old Testament to show that it spoke about Jesus. And a few of the verses in Psalms that were repeated many times, we'll put those verses up there next. Um, here are a few Psalms, Psalm 2-7. I will tell of the decree... The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This ruler would have a special relationship to the Lord, begotten of God himself. And in Psalm 16, 10, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus and the apostles all pointed this out. Did the author of that psalm die? Yes. 
Is he still in the grave? Yes. Then who does he speak of, himself or someone else, someone greater? And that's where the rulers wouldn't say it. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, rejection by them actually certifies him as the Messiah. So Paul is now accepting the word of God that he used to reject. The promises made in the Old Testament about a Messiah who would rule forever point to Jesus. So we learn now that before Christ, I was very religious but totally lost. There are a lot of people in the world today who are very religious and totally lost. They're not going to heaven. Three religions actually grew out of the Bible. We've got a few slides I'll put up here, but here's a slide with Judaism and Islam. The three monotheistic faiths that grew out of the Bible are Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. But Judaism, Old Testament followers alone don't have the Messiah. And Islam, 600 years later, 600 miles away, a new angel gave a new revelation saying Jesus is not the Son of God because God is not a father and he has no son. They also teach that Jesus did not, not, not die on the cross, which takes away our entire hope of anyone being saved. These people are very religious, and they are totally lost. Their faith springs from parts of the same book we have. They are like Paul. There are cults that sprang out of biblical teaching, too. Here's a picture of a few cults, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. They're very devout. Their songs often sound better than our songs with the choir and everything, and very devout. They are active in sharing their faith all around the world. They're very religious. And they are totally lost. And they're not going to heaven without Christ. Paul knew that. Most people who reject God's word aren't dangerous like Paul, who went on a murderous rampage and killed Christians. But they are in grave danger because they don't have the Son and he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Before Christ, I was very religious, but totally lost. Do you realize that religious people don't go to heaven? Saved people go to heaven. Are you a saved person? Has Jesus saved your soul? Or are you just a religious person doing your best? Religion that rejects God's word is dangerous. Write this down. Do you have religion or relationship with Christ? What's your before Christ? What's your BC? What is your journey? How did you find God? Here's a picture from my background. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and so I was uh, baptized as a baby, but then confirmed. There's me and my sister. She lives, and when I show this picture of us back from middle school, I've got the mullet. It's great. There's me on confirmation day. Now, I can tell you that for me, it meant absolutely nothing. My friends and I made fun of the entire thing. We blasphemed God. We made jokes during the worship. It was nothing but comedy to us. I wrote my saint report. It no faith whatsoever. It wasn't until I was in college that the bass player in my heavy metal band, that's right, invited me to church. And I heard about how Jesus said that he alone is the Savior, and it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Well, I received the free gift of eternal life. I was born again through faith in Christ. And then I was baptized uh, back in 1997. They put a dress on me. They made you wear gowns back then. Thankfully, they don't make you do that anymore. I had a ponytail that went down to my belt. And I got baptized. And that showed everybody that I was born again. I was no longer just religious. I was saved through a relationship with Christ. 
Hey, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or just a religion of you trying harder? Number one, before Christ, I was very religious, but totally lost. Paul goes on. Number two, you can write this down. I saw the light of Christ and heard his call to be saved. I saw the light of Christ and heard his call to be saved. In verse 12, he says, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. Here's a picture of Damascus. This is a big city. Jerusalem was a big city too. But Paul's going there. He is going to go house to house. He's going to find the Christians and he's going to drag them back to Jerusalem to hopefully kill them or maybe just throw them in jail or beat them. He said, I journeyed to Damascus, verse 12, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, remember, don't forget there's a king in the room who can order his execution. I saw on the way a light from heaven, get this, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Do you know what that means when the oxen, it was time to go out in the field? Some of them didn't want to. Didn't want to. You ever have a stubborn animal that doesn't want you to do what, it, what you tell it to do? The goads were these really long pikes. Get out there. I don't want to. Go. I don't want to. Okay, that's it. <laughs> and then you start goading it to go. And then, and then it's still, I still don't want to kick, kick, kick. Poke, stab, poke. Paul was a man wrestling with God. I can't help but pause right there and wonder if that's you. How long has it been that God has been propelling you to go out to become a member of his kingdom and to serve him? How hard has your life been in resisting him? And how long will you kick, foolishly kick, against the goads? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus is alive. Do you know that right now? He's talking to Paul from heaven. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So he's making Paul his servant, his witness, and he's saving him. He's opening his eyes. Paul's going to be sent to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I saw the light and heard his call to be saved. Write this down. Have your blind eyes been opened by Christ? Have your blind eyes been opened by Christ? The only explanation of why the chief prosecutor of the Christian faith, who has already killed Christians, thrown men and women in jail, the only, only explanation for why he stopped his murderous rampage is Jesus is alive. Amen. You cannot explain this any other way. He should show up to that city with the death warrants in hand, round up all the Christians, drag them back to Jerusalem, and be done with it. The only reason that didn't happen is because Jesus is alive. Do you believe it? Have your blind eyes been opened by Christ? Spiritually, we cannot see God or know him until we look to Christ, the light of heaven. 
Physically, Paul went blind. I don't know if you've ever had issues with your eyes. I have. I woke up once, temporarily blinded one of my eyes. It was blurry. I couldn't see anything. I said, I can't see. Went to the doctor. When the eye doctor gives you his personal cell number with your prescription and says, call me tomorrow if this isn't working, you know you got trouble. Oh, we're friends now, huh? We're like text buddies? So they didn't tell me, but they thought I had MRSA on the eye. They thought I had MRSA on the eye. I could have gone blind. And thankfully, it was just one of the other thousand forms of things that could start growing, and the drops took care of it. Praise the Lord. But it took days before I found out if that was going to work. Have you had eye trouble before? The light of Christ shines beyond the brilliance of our sun. Do you know what that means about him? He's divine. Have you seen that? It's a portrait of worship. Do you see the glory of Christ? We've all seen the amazing Christmas lights, right? All around the area. That house in Tinley, I think, won a giant award this year. Have you ever been to that one, the big one in Tinley, where you rope off traffic and you got to walk from a block away to get there? Imagine if you've never seen anything in your whole life, and then imagine if for the first time ever, boom, those lights come on. <gasps> Can you imagine the wonder your eyes would experience? That's what happens when you're saved. You can't see God. When you turn and see Christ is the Savior, and you receive him to be your king, the lights of heaven come on in your soul. It's glorious. Have your blind eyes been open? If you were born physically blind and Jesus offered to heal your eyes, would you say yes? You've been born spiritually blind, and he's offering to heal your spiritual eyes. Why say no? Write this down. Have you been freed from the power of Satan? It's a staggering reality to face, but we all start our journey in darkness where Satan reigns. To open their eyes, verse 18, that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So we have to turn from darkness to light. We have to turn from the power of Satan to God. So we all start our journey in darkness where Satan reigns. Who is Satan? Here's a list of Satan's names. We'll put them up on there. Belial means wicked, worthless, Lucifer, accuser, angel of the bottomless pit. Polyon means the destroyer, roaring lion, prince of the power of the air, the wicked one, evil one, deceiver, father of lies, tempter, god of this world, murderer, ancient serpent, adversary, ruler of darkness, prince of this world, enemy, Beelzebub, the lord of filth. That's what comes out of the backside of animals. So I know this is a hard truth to face, but that's where we all start. We're with him. Have you realized that truth about yourself? That you are born imprisoned under the power of darkness, and Jesus came to set you free from that. See, if you don't face the reality, and you think you're just a pretty good person who needs a little religion like anyone else, you're defying the word of God, and you're hopeless. Have you been freed from the power of Satan? That you're trapped, broken, desperate, ashamed, opposed to God? Do you realize the spiritual source of all of this is beyond this world? He's a mightier being than you could ever imagine. You must be set free from spiritual bondage and only Jesus can do it. Write this down. Have you been forgiven through faith in Christ? Have you been forgiven through faith in Christ? 
The word means freed. It's a picture of many things, and all these words in here are a picture of many things, but being freed is an image here. Being made holy or set apart is also wrapped up in this passage. Set apart by God to become his servant. Our sins are like legal guilt, so we, we can't be found innocent in God's court of law because we've all broken his law. So it says, verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place or an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Have you been freed from the power of Satan? Have you been forgiven through faith in Christ? You can see God's glory. You can be freed from Satan's power. You can be forgiven in God's court of law only through Christ. Do you see how me trying harder, it's good that these risers are here, because religion does this, me getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better, then maybe I get high enough to where God will accept me, and that will plunge you over into darkness forever. You can't do it. All you can do is get low before Christ, receive him as king. Have you asked Jesus to open your eyes? free you from your shackles, and forgive you for your sins. Paul said, I saw the light of Christ and heard his call to be saved. The third thing you can write down is this. I repented and God made me his servant and his witness. I repented and God made me his servant and his witness. It says in verse 16, you will be my servant, my witness. The calling of Paul is one of the most beautiful callings in scripture. It parallels that of Isaiah. Wonderful in glory. And it says in verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Do you see the order there? You turn to God, right? You repent, you turn of your sin turn to God, accept Jesus as Savior, then the deeds you do show you're a saved person. They don't save you. They show you've already been saved. For this reason, verse 21, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. He continues to make his case that the Old Testament said this is exactly what's going to happen. I believe the Old Testament. I'm a good Jew. I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Roman citizen. They've got nothing on him. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, with a loud voice, said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Just imagine in the middle of your trial where you've done nothing wrong, somebody stands up and just shouts, right? So Jim, you're going to play the part of Festus. Go ahead and stand up and shout. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I repented. God made me his servant and his witness. All right, now he's in front of King Herod. Let's review who he is. Here's a slide that shows us the Herods. We went through this at length last week, but just to summarize, Herod the Great was great-grandpa. He tried to kill Christmas. 
and baby Jesus, and he had 10 wives, killed one of them, killed three of his sons. It was better to be his pig than his son. Herod Agrippa I, who's in the middle of this slide, was this king's dad. Okay, so Paul's standing in front of this king who's got the power to kill him, and God killed this king's dad. Does that make you nervous? What do you know about your judge? Well, I know God killed his dad. Other than that... So God killed his dad by an angel because this dad killed the apostle James. It's a wicked crime family. It was uncle, this, this king's uncle Antipas, Antipas and Aunt Herodias killed John the Baptist and helped to kill Jesus. So now we're with King Herod Agrippa II. That's who's in the room. And Bernice, his sister. And they likely have a questionable relationship going on. And then Drusilla was the sister who was here last week with Felix. And they spent two years with Paul. So Paul knows some stuff about the family. Okay? The fact that they haven't killed him already means something. They're very curious, they're alarmed, and they're intrigued because they know their family's got blood on its hands. So it's crazy that Paul says, I consider myself fortunate to be in your presence, O king. What? He knows some things are going on in this king's heart and family. Write this down. Ask God to use you to tell others the good news. Ask God to use you to tell others the good news. He says here in verse 22, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. Meaning God's with me and I can prove it to you. God saved me and I can prove it to you and he's with me and I can prove it to you. He becomes a living, breathing, walking witness. God wants your life to show that God's help has always been with you. It's not just what you say or tell, it's what you show it's both. Here's a list again. We're keeping track of Paul's many woes. Here's a list of Paul's woes. And these woes show that God has been with him. Already there's been a mob attack in the temple, tortured by Romans, Sanhedrin trial ended in chaos, 40 assassins wanted to kill him, stealth night military transfer, hearing before Governor Felix, meetings with Felix and Queen Princess Drusilla. His case was delayed and left for this Festus for two years. Then the rulers planned to ambush him again. Festus offered him a crooked retrial. Paul appealed to Caesar. Appealed to Caesar. Now we're here before King Agrippa II. Coming next... Lost at sea, shipwreck. Roman soldiers will try and kill him on the shipwreck. He'll be marooned on the island of Malta, receive a fatal snake bite, then safely arrive at Rome to appear before crazy Nero. Paul says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. He should be a dead man. Your life will show the same thing if you're saved. I've got the help that comes from God. You'll see it. He saved me, he's with me. Paul is a witness. He repented, God made him his servant and his witness. God offered him his protection, God delivered him. I like this thought of us being the ones to go share the good news with others. We are like God's fed ex. Paul was his servant and his witness. There's delivery people all over today, right? Delivering packages, that's you and me. And you never know the kind of reception you're going to get. I found this video of a delivery guy who had the best day of his life because the people knew packages were coming, so they set out treats for him. Check oh, it out. This is nice. Oh, they got some gummies. Wow. Oh, this is sweet. Oh, wow. Get out of here. This is sweet. What is this? 
If only that's the way people responded when you were like, I'm here to deliver good news to you. Jesus died and rose again to save you from your sins and you can go to heaven forever free of charge. Really? It's the best delivery I've ever received. Let me go get the treats for you. Wouldn't that be awesome? If your delivery of the good news always got you that reaction? Sadly, that's not the way it works. People are not too happy about the delivery we are making, but do you see yourself as that? Do you see yourself as out on delivery? Out on delivery every day. You're out on delivery. Delivering what? Best news ever. Telling people about Jesus. Do you see yourself as God's delivery? FedEx, I'm out on delivery. Ask God to use you to tell others the good news. Write this down. Expect people to ridicule you and harass you. Expect it. Right? Go ahead. Say your line again. Festus is the Roman governor of the land. He outranks the king. When the governor shouts, you're out of your mind, your trial is going very badly. However, he doesn't have charges, so he's in trouble. He's got to send this wacko on the way to Caesar in Rome, and he doesn't have anything to write. He's like, just, just give me something. Just, just give me anything. Just, I, just, I, can't, I can't find anything. And he's saying these crazy things about a dead man rising again. This guy's got an issue. It's actually a good thing to see the soul stirring up when someone gets upset about what you're saying. It's kind of worse when they just sit there and they're like, eh, I'm good. I'm good. It's actually kind of good when they get wound up because it means you're hitting a nerve. Expect people to ridicule you and harass you. Chuck Swindoll is one of the foremost preachers of our day and he's, his wife had uh, a heart issue and so they had to have surgery and um, or I think it may have been cancer, but either way, they were meeting with the doctor regularly for follow-up, and so he decided, I'm going to go and share my faith with this doctor. Really high-ranking doctor, brilliant, well-respected. So he said, I want to take you out to lunch. Imagine if Chuck Swindoll is sharing the gospel with you. And he said, in the most polite, sincere, non-offensive manner I ever could, I, I said, we, my wife and I, we care for your soul. You're caring for us so well. And look, I'm, I'm a preacher, and I just want you to know the truth. And he said he drew out the bridge illustration for him that we're far from God, and the cross is the only way we can get to God. He said, I took 20 minutes, and he just sat there and listened the whole time. He said, and then I just paused, and I just said, well, what do you think? He said, this powerful, wealthy doctor stood up, picked up the napkin, crumpled it into a ball, and threw it away, and said, I would never believe that in a thousand years, and stormed off. You can't control the response. You can say all the right things, but expect people to ridicule you, harass you, and reject you because they're not wrestling with you, they're wrestling with God. Write this down. Invite others to come and behold him. Invite others to come and behold him. So reading on, it says in verse 25, but Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Now he's talking right to the king. I, you know, the governor over there has more power, but he turns to the king. You've seen all of this. None of this has escaped your notice. I'm speaking to the king who you've appointed today as the one who's hearing me. You've seen it all. You've heard it all. You're acquainted with this. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? 
Can you put yourself in this moment? Who's on trial now? Do, do you believe the prophets? Can you imagine the silence? Everybody look at him. And then Paul says, then Paul says, I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. What a powerful moment. He wants everybody to get saved. Everybody realizes he's done nothing wrong. He's willing to die for Christ. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Number four, write this down. Do you believe the truth about Jesus? This is the last question. This is the question that Paul asked the king. This is the question that God asks you. Do you believe? Do you believe the truth about Jesus? Paul's conversion, the raging lunatic Christian killer, can only be explained by Jesus is alive. God rescuing Paul from certain death time and time and time and time and time and time again can only be explained by Jesus is alive. Do you believe Jesus is alive? And if you abandon all hope that you could be religious enough or good enough or kind enough or charitable enough to go to heaven on your own merit, have you realized that only saved people go to heaven? And have you repented, turned from darkness to light, and asked Jesus to save you? Are you a saved person? Paul was convinced you should be, and you should trust Jesus to save you and to make you his servant today. Here's the last thing you can write down. This is a prayer of faith that you can pray today. I believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, and I ask him, I ask to be saved by his grace today. I believe Jesus is the promised Messiah, and I ask to be saved by his grace today. We're going to take a moment right now to close our eyes and bow our hearts, and I'm going to give you a chance to simply pray, which is just talking to God. There's no magic words. This is just you and God, and I want to give you a chance to pray the prayer of faith, just as Paul did when Jesus appeared to him. And based on what this text covered today, I, want to, I just want to appeal in particular to those of you who for a very long time have been fighting God. For a very long time you've been fighting God. You've been kicking against the goads. There have been very painful things God has brought in your life to show you that you need him. Even if you've been religious, even if you've put on a front, even if on the outside you've kind of behaved yourself, you know on the inside that God has been trying to get your attention for a long time. You have been kicking against the, the pikes. It's time now. It's time now to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's a simple prayer. In your own heart, you just need to say this. I believe Jesus is the promised Messiah. You can say that in your own heart. I believe Jesus is the promised Messiah. And I ask to be saved by his grace today. If you mean that, Jesus will receive you, even you, into his kingdom forever. If he would call Paul the Christian killer, wash him, cleanse him, 
and sent him out to be the servant of God, the spokesman for righteousness, the author of the Bible, if he would use him, doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or who you are, Jesus will save you. So stop doubting and believe. Believe the good news and receive the light of life today. Oh Lord, we pray all this in your mighty and matchless name. We invite you to stand and worship with us one more time.